0: You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Well, today we're going to continue our series, Dominion. We're talking about what it looks like for God's kingdom to rule in our lives, in effect. And we're on part four of this series of Dominion. Now, we're going to turn a corner. The last three weeks, we've talked about spiritual formation. What does it look like to be spiritual? Spiritually. And of course, um, that was a, an overview of spiritual formation. There's no way in three weeks we can get into the depths of what it looks like to be formed in the image of Christ. But we talked about what it looks like to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to take up our cross and follow Jesus, what it looks like to be intentionally versus unintentionally formed into the image of Jesus. And today we're going to turn a corner, and we're going to start a four-part, um, uh, the next four uh, weeks of this series are going to be about cultural engagement, cultural engagement. Now, <clears throat> I have some concerns, I'm sure that you do as well, We have about one month until our uh, election in this political season that we're in. And as you probably well know and I know, um, looking at the landscape of our country in particular in regards to the coronavirus, uh, the racial unrest that's happening around us, the political environment that we're in, it is a difficult season. And I don't say this um, with any sort of joy, I don't say this with any sort of like glee, but I do wanna say to you that civil discourse is dead. At least in my perspective, it would appear that civil discourse, the ability to have conversations with people who have opposing views seems to have died. I'm not sure when it died. I'm not sure where it died, and I'm not so sure it can be fully resurrected. I hope that it can be, at least among us, the believers, church folk. Perhaps we can resurrect what it looks like to have civil discourse, to have conversations with people who don't necessarily see it the same way that we see it and still be friends and still work together in this community. But civil discourse Man, if you watch any part of the debate, you would see that civil discourse is dead, and that's just really—that's just really the fruit of what the root of the symptoms are here. That's just really—we're just seeing the fruit of of sort of a cultural shift, of sort of a a disease, a different sort of pandemic in our society, and that is this: that we have forgotten what it looks like to be able to engage one another in honest, robust, and gracious conversations. So we're going to talk about what it looks like the next four weeks, what it looks like to engage culturally. Maybe you've heard this recently. And it seems very recent to me, maybe it's because of social media, I'm not sure, but maybe you've heard people say, hey, listen, shut up and play basketball, or shut up and play football, or maybe stick to sports, or stick to business. It's sort of this thing that people use, these phrases that people use when people start to declare, maybe people with power, like a LeBron James, or the best quarterback in the NFL, Russell Wilson, talks about cultural issues. Those who don't necessarily agree with their stance would say to them, hey, shut up and play basketball. Hey, shut up and play football. We don't care about your politics. We want you to entertain us. Or shut up about uh, the, your politics and just stick to sports or just stick to business. And there's a big problem with this sort of idea because these are people who are a part of our culture, who are a part of our community of humanity, who also have the right to opinions and ideas, regardless of what they do for a living. Or maybe you've heard people say this, if you don't like X, whatever X may be, if you don't like X, then find another country or get out. It's just not a good way to engage in civil discourse. Or maybe you've heard this. I know that I've heard this multiple times. Just preach the gospel. Come on, pastor. Come on, preacher. Just preach the gospel. Don't talk to us about the cultural things that are happening around us. Don't talk to us about what's going on in our cities and our communities. Just preach the gospel. The problem with that idea is that the gospel has incredible implications for our lives. The gospel lays out incredible ethics on how we engage with our neighbors. The gospel declares to us this really good news, but it then presents to us a question. How are we going to respond to the gospel? And if we have responded to the gospel, how then shall we live? What does the gospel do in us? And then what, what does that gospel in us do for those around us, so we can't just preach the gospel in the sense of just saying Jesus is Lord. We believe that wholeheartedly, but Jesus being Lord has implications of how then shall I live? How then shall I engage my community? How shall I work towards the justice for the oppressed? How shall I work towards seeing blind eyes open? How shall I work towards seeing the gospel being preached to the poor? How then shall I work to see liberty for the captives, right? Right? So we can't just preach the gospel. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 4.20 tells us the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power, meaning that it has the real life power to change the world around us. And So I want to do today just a sort of brief uh, foundational view about this idea and sort of ask one question or two questions. One Should we engage in the culture and two, how should we engage in culture? So one, should we engage in culture, in the culture around us? And I would say emphatically, yes, we should. We should indeed be engaged with the cultural issues that surround us. The gospel that has impacted our lives is not just for us, but it is for the entire world. And it is to um, it is to declare a new kingdom, uh, a new shining alternative to the world systems. And that has implications. Implications on radical transformation for the people around us. So, yes, we should engage in the culture around us. And so then that brings us to the second question: okay, if we should engage with the culture, how should we engage with our culture? How should we engage with the issues that are at hand, whether they be political, whether they be social economic, whether they be racial, whatever those issues may be. How should we engage with the culture around us? And I would say that is with grace and with truth, with grace and with truth. Karl Barth, the uh, German theologian, said this. He's famous for saying this. We must hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Like if we modernize this a little bit, the Bible in one hand and our social media feed, our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram, or whatever, in the other hand. He went on to say, or it's more clearly stated that he said, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both. But interpret newspapers from your Bible or interpret your social media feed from the Bible. Okay, so what he's saying is we should engage with the culture. We should not be blind or deaf to what is happening around us. No, we should take up our news source, whatever that may be, and we should read that. We should, we should listen to that, but we should interpret it through the lens of the Bible. Rich Blotis said like this, when engaging in polarizing issues, the follower of Jesus would do well to ask. Listen closely. Am I uneasy with this perspective because it runs contrary to Jesus's life and message? Or am I uneasy with this perspective because it challenges the long held assumptions I've carried? Both of these thoughts from Karl Barth and Rich Blotis are saying to us, we should engage in culture, but there's a particular way in which we should engage in culture. Earlier, when I talked about this idea of shut up and play basketball, stick to sports and business, or if you don't like it, get out of the country, find another country or whatever, or just preach the gospel, that wouldn't be one thing if it was just the world who was doing this. But it is a completely different thing when people of the kingdom of God, believers are engaging in this kind of behavior because it is contrary to what the kingdom of God calls us to. The kingdom of God calls us to indeed engage in culture, but to engage in culture in the culture in a spirit of grace and truth. Now, if you have your Bibles turn in your Bibles to, uh, John chapter 17. Now John chapter 17 is known as Jesus's high priestly prayer. This is the night before he's going to be, um, turned over and crucified and he begins to pray. He prays for the disciples in what's known as the high priestly prayer. Now, in the middle of this prayer, verse 14, Jesus picks up and speaks specifically to how uh, how he sees the disciples beginning to engage with the world around them as he leaves and goes to the Father. And here's what he says, verse 14. Again, Jesus praying to the Father he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one they are not of the world just as i am not of the world verse 17 sanctify them in the truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world so i have sent them into the world and for their sake i consecrate myself that they all that they also may be sanctified in truth. Here in the middle of Jesus's high priestly prayer, he lays out this sort of plan, this formula for cultural engagement. Now, before we go too far in this, I want us to, to think through this. You may have heard this statement before that I'm in but not of the world. In but not of the world. And while I understand where that is going, it's maybe not the best way to declare that. Because if we're not careful to say that I am in but not of the world can maybe sound like I'm begrudgingly just sort of trying to make it while I'm here. It kind of can create this sort of escapist mentality that I'm here. Yes, but I'm not of this. I don't want to have anything to do with this. I am, you know, and and so I think we have to be careful on how we words matter. So I think we have to be careful on how we present this idea. Now, just as much as that can create an escapist mentality where we're just trying to get by and get out. We also have to be careful that the other ditch, uh, that we don't fall into the other side of the other ditch. And that is that what Jesus is praying here is not some sort of uh, call to create this sort of utopian Christian uh, culture or utopian Christian nation. So this isn't about, the Bible isn't about Christian reconstructionism, and if you don't know what it is, I would encourage you to go look into it, because a lot of uh, believers today are buying into this idea of Christian reconstructionism, this idea of the seven mountain strategy. There are seven mountains of influence that Christians are supposed to dominate and indeed take over uh, so that we can rule the world, or some sort of manifest destiny um, idea, or an idea of theonomy which is this idea that society becomes ruled by divine law, that God elevates because Jesus has gone to the the right hand of the father, that God elevates Christians to execute God's law and that everybody else comes under the rule of divine law, God's divine law. And so there's a theonomy that we are ruled now by the divine law of God. That's not what the scriptures call us to. Jesus did not do that. He did not set up his kingdom inside such a way that he demanded that Rome and everybody else come under the rule of divine law. That's not what was happening. So Jesus' formula for cultural engagement, as lined out right here when he begins to pray to the Father for his disciples before he is crucified, his formula is not of this world, but sent into this world. Not of this world, Father. I know that they are not of this world, but send them into this world. So let's talk about those two ideas. Not of, but sent unto. First of all, not of. Jesus says it very clearly. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We have to get this into our hearts, church. We are not of of the world. That means we are not of the same spirit. We are not of the same nature. We are not of the same character. Think about what we talked about last week from 2 Corinthians chapter five, Do, or excuse me, from Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Do not be conformed. Why? Because we are not of the world. Just as Jesus is not of the world, we are not of the world. Therefore, we should not function and operate the same way that the world functions and operates. Not of the same spirit. Not of the same nature. Not of the same character. So when the world wants to call names, when the world wants to demonize, when the world wants to other people, when the world wants it to be us versus them, when the world wants to engage in culture wars, when the world wants to engage in cancel culture, we are not of the world just as Jesus is not of the world. You've probably seen the bumper stickers or the t-shirts or the phrase, not of this world, or, or the one that says, this world is not my home, right? And use the acronyms for this sort of idea. These are true statements. As cheesy as the bumper sticker or t-shirt might be, these are true statements because the Bible declares that we are aliens, that we are foreigners, that we are sojourners, that we are just passing through We are not of this world, so we should not engage this world the way that the world engages each other. No, we live by a higher ethic. We live by a higher vision of how we engage with our neighbors. We live by a higher law to love God and love our neighbor and love our enemy. We are supposed supposed to be a shining alternative to the way that the world functions and operates. Not that we're supposed to turn the world into a theonomy, but that we as the people of God are supposed to live by a higher Ethic being a shining alternative, a city set on a hill whose light breaks forth for others to say, What is this thing that these Christians believe? We live by this higher way, this higher law, higher vision, higher ethic as we just pass through, not of this world, just as Jesus was not of this world. And so, therefore, we are ambassadors. Uh, 2 Corinthians talks about this. We're going to read it later, later. We'll close out with 2 Corinthians, but it talks about this, that we are therefore ambassadors of the kingdom of God. That means that we represent God's kingdom above everything else. When one is listed as an ambassador, It means that they have a responsibility to represent the one who sent them. Whoever declared them to be an ambassador, that is the one that they must represent above all other things. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are not ambassadors of any particular political party. We are not ambassadors of any particular worldly ideology or agenda. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. J.T. English said it like this. He said, our primary witness to the world is not about who we elect. Come on, somebody. But who we exalt. Our primary witness of the world is not about who we elect, but who we exalt. As ambassadors of the kingdom of God, we exalt Jesus, the king of kings, over every single political, partisan ideology, over everything else. What is the representation? What does the kingdom of God say about this particular situation? Um, in their podcast, The Cultural Moment, I would encourage you to go look up this podcast. It's a wonderful, um, very uh, well-done podcast, The Cultural Moment. Each, each episode is just about 15, maybe 20 minutes long. And it's John Mark Comer and Mark Sayers. But in with their podcast, The Cultural Moment, they said this, the goal is not to colonize the culture. We're not trying to turn the culture into a theonomy. We're not trying to colonize them and turn them, make them follow all of our rules. No, no, no. But also, follow me closely, also to not be colonized by the culture. So we are not of this world. We have to be careful that we are not being colonized by the culture, meaning that we're not allowing ourselves to be shaped and conformed to the ways of the culture that we're trying to engage in. Jesus said, first and foremost, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We live by a different spirit, a different nature, a different character than the world lives by. A higher ethic, a higher way that way is obviously love. Now so he says not of and then also later he says sent into. He says as you sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world. In the same way You can read it like this, in the same way that you sent me, remember, this is Jesus praying to the Father, in the same way that you sent me into the world, so I am also sending them into the world. So not of, but sent into. Well, if Jesus says, in the same way that you sent me, I'm sending them, how then was Jesus sent? How was Jesus sent into the world? I have a few. I want you to go look these up and read these in their context. I'm going to give you a, a brief overview and not fully comprehensive, but overview of some of the ways in which Jesus was sent that help us helps us understand how we are sent. So how was Jesus sent? Well, when Jesus comes out of, the, out of the desert, fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights, being tempted of the devil, he goes to the temple. He opens up the book of Isaiah and he finds where it is written and he reads in front of everybody. We find this in Luke chapter four, verses 18 through 19. He reads to everybody this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, that is cultural engagement. Jesus opens up the scripture and he's telling, says to them, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing, meaning I am the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And here it is that, that God has anointed me, The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to engage in the culture in such a way that there is liberty or, or, excuse me, good news proclaimed to the poor, that there's liberty proclaimed to those who are bound up to captives, that the blind can see, um, that, that, that there's Liberty to those who are being oppressed, and that there is the, to proclaim that this is the acceptable year, the year of the Lord's favor. That's pretty intense. Jesus was sent with this anointing of the Spirit to declare these things. What else? Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit in that same chapter, Luke chapter 4, in verse 14. The Bible says that he came out of the wilderness, empowered by the Spirit. This is when he began his ministry, empowered by the Spirit. We need to be empowered by the Spirit. He came out preaching the kingdom, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. When he come, he came out of the desert, he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How was Jesus sent? he was sent to seek and to save the lost. He made this declaration in Luke chapter 19 verse 10. The son of man didn't come to serve, but uh, it didn't come to be served, but to serve and to seek and save the lost. Jesus came in humility, in servanthood, in self-sacrifice. Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11 lines out this beautiful idea of let this mind be in you that was also in Jesus who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God and that he laid down his life, that he humbled himself to the point of death. Again, go read that. But it talks about the humility of Jesus, that he was sent in humility and servanthood, in self-sacrifice for the sake of humanity. And then John 1, 14, one of my favorite uh, verses in scripture, as John retells sort of the new creation story through Jesus Christ. In verse 14, it says, and we and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, speaking of Jesus, and we beheld his glory, the glory only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was sent full of grace and truth. So how then do we engage our culture? And again, this is just the baseline. This is just the starting point. How do we engage our culture? We engage our culture through grace and truth, just as Jesus did. First of all, we are grace givers. I think too often we forget this. We have been given, lavishly given grace, and we are supposed to be grace givers. That means that the world is not our enemy. The world is our mission. And it is a disaster if we try to make our mission field our enemies, if we make many enemies out of those who disagree with us politically, if we make enemies out of those who don't see everything the same way that we see things, then we are now forsaking our mission field. God has called us into the world to be on mission with him to preach the gospel to all creation to make disciples. The world is not our enemy, the world is our mission. We would call this the ministry of reconciliation. We have been called and given this ministry of reconciliation with the world. We'll talk about that more as we close out the text. The second thing, how do we engage in cultures? We are grace givers. And secondly, we are truth tellers. Come on, we are truth tellers. Tellers And listen to me, this word is not intended to be a weapon against the world. No, this word is our message for the world. This story of God, this is not just some sort of system of do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. This is the story of God longing to dwell among the people, among his people. That is the good news of the gospel. That God so longed to dwell with his people that he made a way through his son Jesus. Jesus, born of a virgin who lived a perfect and sinless life, who died on the cross, was resurrected on the third day, ascended unto the Father, making intercession for you and me, sent his spirit. Why? So that we could declare to the world that God has made a way that we can be reconciled back to him. So this word that we speak, this truth that we have, that we see fully in Jesus Christ, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, this truth that we have. Is not intended to be a not intended to be used as a weapon against the world. No, it is intended to be our message for the world, the message of reconciliation. In closing, let me just, and I hope you go read these. I know I went quickly, but I hope you go and read these verses. But in closing, let me read 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. This sort of establishes for us this very call that we have as ambassadors of God. Verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you've heard this before, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, taking all of this into consideration, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal uh, through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, this is how we engage culture, through grace and truth through the ministry and message of reconciliation as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. I hope that encourages you. I hope that challenges you today. Let's pray, Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need you to empower us to be a people who are not of the world, but who are sent into the world as ambassadors with this beautiful ministry and message of reconciliation. Help us to be full of grace and full of your truth, just as you were Jesus. As we're sent into this world, let us be a people known for our love for each other and our love for the lost, for the world, for our enemies. Challenge us, reshape the way that we view this world that you have placed us and sent us into. May we view it with your eyes. May may what breaks your heart break our hearts. May we work, Lord, towards reconciliation. May we work, Lord, towards seeing the oppressed liberated. May we work towards seeing the poor having the gospel, the good news preached to them. May we work towards the kingdom ideals that you've lined out. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.